0: Hello everyone, this is Drew Precious, Director of Communications at the Presidential Precinct. I'm pleased to welcome you to Season 3 of the Global Founders Podcast. Here we will share
1: highlights of our latest virtual programming initiatives, originally aired as Zoom events on the Presidential Precinct Network, featuring the voices of our program alumni and trusted experts working to further any of our six core focus areas. Thank you for joining us today on the Global Founders Podcast. As we're waiting for people to uh, dial in this morning, uh, I want to just start by introducing myself. My name is Neil Piper. I'm the executive director at the Presidential Precinct, and uh, we've got you know a lot of amazing leaders joining us today from all around the world. Uh, we've had you know well over uh, 50 people who RSVP'd for today. Uh, we're really pleased that you're joining us and. Uh, you know, whether you're joining us, you know, here's a healthcare worker who's, you know, I'm really on the front line of this coronavirus or as a civic leader who's working to address some of the human rights violations I'm seeing uh, through your Facebook posts around the world, or even an NGO or business leader, you know, we're all just trying to work to keep things afloat. I know everyone's shifting their model to be responsive in your community uh, during this really challenging time. And you know, as I kind of reflect on all this and, you know, seeing all your updates, you know, one thing that I see that's clear is that, you know, we're all in this together. Um, You know, regardless of where you're coming from, we're all dealing with this in different ways. And, you know, this is really the reason why uh, we as an organization at the Presidential Precinct really wanted to uh, double down on our commitment to to really build an opportunity to connect us all. Because I think And these kind of times we need that more than ever to be able to share ideas, to learn from one another. Uh, and so through the precinct network, uh, we decided to come up with three, uh, program, uh, modalities to, to really be able to connect with each of you, uh, each week to every other week. Uh, the first way we're going to do that is through virtual cafes. So this is more of a casual and engaging conversation, uh, between, network leaders to really expand your connections within the network so our first one will be uh, next week we'll be sending out information about that virtual cafe it's very casual bring your coffee tea have your lunch it's just a conversation and a way for us to just get to hang out and talk about things that we're facing in our, our communities the second is a campfire conversation so these are more of your traditional panel style discussions but really driven by personal stories uh, from our network on topics that really mean the most to you. And we'll be uh, asking you uh, as we build these campfire conversations about topics that you want us to build. uh, And then 2020 talks. Uh, These are presentations from leaders who are really changing the world with innovative ideas. And so for today's 2020 talk, we uh, have the privilege to be joined by Brett Bruin, who's a A close friend of mine, someone I've had the privilege to work with for the past six weeks, and he's going to be talking about a really timely conversation on protecting and promoting your brand in an age of uh, upheaval and uncertainty, which I know we're all seeing globally uh, right now. And uh, Brett is just such an impressive human being, someone I have uh, so much respect and admiration for. Uh, He's the president of the Global Situation Room. He was the former director of the Global Engagement at the White House under uh, the Obama administration. Uh, He spent 12 years as a diplomat. Uh, During this time, he became a specialist in strategic communications, really looking to influence the course of crisis and and conflict. And when he is the director of the Global Engagement at the White House, he coordinated the U.S. uh, government's public diplomacy, international media, crisis communications and global entrepreneurship programs. I met him through this role uh, when we were working together on the Young Leaders of America's program and the Mendel Washington Fellowship. Uh, he's now the leading expert on uh, counter-crisis management theory, uh, a term that he coined during his time uh, at the National Security Council. Uh, and he's worked all around the world, uh, including Nigeria, uh, when the 200 uh, Chibok uh, school girls were, uh, kidnapped. He was on the front lines when Michelle Obama created the uh, Let like Girls Learn campaign, which is one of the most uh, critical things that people remember about the Obama White House. Uh, he was a diplomat in Ivory Coast, Liberia, <clears throat> Guinea, Iraq, Venezuela, Argentina, Zambia, and Eritrea. So, for our Wildlife Fellows or Mandela Washington Fellows, some of our VLP Fellows. Um, he's worked in many of the countries that you're coming from and, uh, in his role as president of the Global Situation Room, he runs this consulting firm that specializes in helping clients navigate their most complex communication challenges. And uh, so, Brett, we're really fortunate uh, to have you here with us today. Uh, before I turn it over to you, I want to share a little bit about the format of today's conversation. Uh, 2020 talks last a total of 40 minutes uh, with a 20-minute talk and 20-minute Q&A. And we encourage uh, everyone to engage in the conversation uh, by asking questions. You can ask your questions in the comments area uh, throughout the presentation. Uh, Brett will address these questions after 20 minutes and then we'll open the line for additional questions. You can raise your hand and, and that will open your line. Uh, and uh, we close the call after 40 minutes to ensure uh, we're respectful to everyone's busy schedule. Uh, and uh, then conversations will continue in the 2020 cohort within the Presidential Precinct Network, which many of you are members of. So Brett's a member of the network. Uh, you can continue asking questions there. We can share the presentation. So uh, Brett, I'm going to turn it over to you. Uh, but I just want to thank everyone again for, for joining us. And you'll hear from me here at the end of the conversation.
0: Thanks, Neil, and thanks to the presidential precinct. Uh, It's really a a fantastic organization and great to see how it has grown over um, the last several years to become really a a preeminent uh, entity in bringing uh, international leaders, emerging leaders from around uh, the world uh, here to Virginia. I'm currently in Northern Virginia, so just north of Charlottesville, uh, where uh, Neil and the team are located and, and have uh, really enjoyed the opportunity to participate both in um, exchange programs uh, on campus at William & Mary, at the University of Virginia, uh, Montpellier, Monticello, all of the institutions part of the precinct, um, and look forward again to joining those programs in person. But for today, uh, virtually to have this conversation with you, and uh, perhaps uh, at uh, one of the most challenging moments in our lifetime, Uh, You know, I've, uh, as Neil mentioned in my biography, certainly seen uh, conflict, I've seen uh, these kinds of pandemics, but never uh, on the scale uh, that we are currently confronting. Um, My work both as a diplomat uh, on the National Security Council under President Obama, uh, as well now in crisis communications consulting, really focuses on How do you develop, whether it's for you individually as a a leader, for your team, uh, for your organization or company, uh, even across sectors or society, uh, the kinds of capabilities, not just to respond to crisis. I I like to say when you're responding to crisis, you're already uh, in a, position that is not advantageous. What I'd like to talk about today is how amidst adversity we can actually become much more agile and emerge from these kinds of challenges stronger and even more successful. So let's um, get into the slides and and I'll take you first into the White House situation room uh, where this notion of of counter-crisis communications began. Uh, Neil, we can go to the next slide. And we were confronting at the time two civil wars in Africa, South Sudan, Central African Republic. Russia decided to invade Crimea in the Ukraine, as well as um, the emergence of ISIS. Yet all of these vulnerabilities, uh, civil wars in Africa, Russia meddling on its borders, extremist groups in the Middle East were vulnerabilities that we could have we should have uh, addressed, identified ahead of time. And so one of the key lessons that I took away from that and that we actually started a process within the National Security Council to focus on is how in understanding from a communication standpoint, what are our most likely and our most damaging vulnerabilities. In that case, it was global threats, but it can equally apply to a company or organization that understands what their threats are. And then against those threats, starting to put in place both the indicators that will give you that early warning, as well as the infrastructure that you need to have in place to respond. And finally, this concept, which we'll get into at the end of countermeasures. So today, we're just going to briefly familiarize you with some of these terms and, and concepts, and then glad to have an exchange about them. So Neil, we can move on to the next slide. And as we begin this uh, discussion, what I'd like to ask each of you to really reflect on uh, are the vulnerabilities that you know exist. They could be personal ones, something you said, something you did, uh, something that you were accused of. But if it should um, become a full-fledged scandal, are you ready to respond? Do you have uh, the uh, elements in place to uh, explain yourself, to tell the story in a way uh, that puts it in a constructive context. Similarly, as a, uh, an institution, you know that there are, are parts of your organization, whether it's a government entity, a non-government entity, uh, a company that just don't work right. And everybody ignores it. Everybody you know, hopes that it will get better or go away. But at the end of the day, we really have to confront those challenges. We have to confront those gears that are squeaky and just not uh, functioning in the way that they were designed to, because they too can really um, become uh, the next crisis. They can uh, be exacerbated and really create uh, massive problems. And then in the last sense, we have everything uh, outside of our Organization, the health pandemics, obviously that we are all so familiar with at the moment. Security issues, you know, the the cyber challenges, and so I like to um, describe the modern era as one in which risk has gone regular. You know, we go back to the power of the individual today. Anyone with a cell phone has enormous power to capture photos, videos, to even share, you know, views that can transform society either in a constructive way or in a chaotic way. Next slide, please. As we're um, looking at crisis, one of the realizations that I took away from that process that we ran at the White House was that we are looking at crisis uh, through the wrong lens. Many of us consider crisis when things get really bad And yet there's a life cycle to a crisis. And there are, uh, along each of those stages, engagements that we can uh, take that will either mitigate the situation or even allow us to maneuver around it. So this is really the most important concept that uh, I wanna share with you today. And it starts with this notion uh, to move up our response faster and more fully. Not to wait, because if you wait uh, and see, you will see uh, what happens as these problems uh, percolate up and then become increasingly worse. So I uh, really am an advocate for organizations leaning into problems at that early warning uh, signal when they're just starting to creak and, and there are some complaints, rather than you know putting it on, on hold, rather than uh, trying to engage in a small or an insignificant way, how can you fully engage in that initial stage, present alternatives and you know, from a communication standpoint, zoom the conversation out? Maybe there were one or two issues in, in a process. Well, that's not a systematic problem, and yet these days it is so easy to take that uh, one incident and use it as representative of a process of of people that work at a company or an organization this is where you can help to tell that story if you engage in a uh, fulsome way even as things are, are starting to worsen and the crisis is is taking hold most organizations will shut the door batten down the hatches and try to weather out the storm that doesn't work anymore. And this is why I increasingly say that crisis management 1.0 doesn't work. There is not that luxury any longer of gathering in the conference room and trying to talk this over, figure out a solution. You have to get out and engage. You have to uh, be ready, you and your team, and we're gonna talk very briefly about some of the skills that you need to get out there. And lastly, in that most intense stage, this is the point at which most companies you know, confronting that, that worst case scenario are, are really paralyzed. And rather than um, that engagement, rather than uh, looking at how do you tell your story? Because in a crisis of that nature, somebody is going to be telling your story. It can either be you or it can be uh, those critical voices on the outside. And they are oftentimes uh, ill-informed or they are not uh, telling the story uh, of everything that, that has happened. And this is why preparing yourself and your team to get out there and tell that story. You know, In Hollywood, they like to say, uh, no news is bad news. And in crisis, that still holds true. You can, and you should, even in the worst case scenario, find ways to get out and tell your story because you will never have more attention in all likelihood, then in that moment of crisis, how you come out of it, not just in in terms of responding to that uh, challenge, but also in moving forward. And we talk about how you find the future. You have the ability to take a crisis and fully address the challenge, and then help the public, help the press, help your customers and stakeholders to move forward. And in some cases, to a much more positive place, and that's where the countermeasure comes in. Next slide, please. So in order to um, be ready for this new reality, the um, infrastructure has to be in place. This is what I uh, term crisis communications 2.0 or counter-crisis communications uh, more broadly. First, it starts with taking a full assessment of what are your risks. You can do it today, you can do it right now. Go back to that question I asked at the outset. For you uh, as an individual, for your team, for your organization, what are those vulnerabilities? And chart them out. They can be charted from really likely and really damaging all the way through to less likely and less damaging. But understand them and keep track of them because they change. A few years ago, we would have said cybersecurity not a um, likely nor a, a really damaging vulnerability. Secondly, take a look at your plans. Many plans are either outdated, they're irrelevant, they bake in a lot of assumptions. And if you just you know, go through some basic tests of the process, the people involved, as well as those plans, you'll find they don't hold up. The second part of uh, Crisis Communications 2.0 is agility. It isn't um, the rigidity of a plan which, you know, says, okay, if there's a crisis, we're going to go through uh, A, B, and C steps. You have to uh, be able to adapt and to be much more agile in today's crisis. You know, one of the points that I often make is that leaders need to establish new goals in crisis. Your goal cannot be resetting to where you were. This notion of recovery, and we're hearing it a lot now amidst uh, the, the challenge, especially the economic challenge of COVID-19, is quite frankly um, misguided. There is no returning to where we were. The world uh, after COVID-19 will be vastly different. The world after your next uh, personal or company organizational crisis will be very different. You have to uh, help your company define those new, new goals. Next, you have to be able to put in place that infrastructure and augment the support that you need. And lastly, it has to be available. It has to be ready. One of those pieces, and you see on the left uh, side of the screen someone who's probably familiar, Princess Diana. But uh, in back of her is someone that we work with who was her first and her only chief of staff, Patrick Jepson. And he talks about Princess Diana's forgivability. We describe it as reservoirs of goodwill companies, even political leaders, have forgivability. Uh, The FBI went after uh, Apple in the midst of a terrorism investigation, and Apple essentially responded, take a hike. But they had forgivability. They had the trust of their consumers. They had the trust of the public. And they were able to successfully do it, so much so that their sales went up, their um, share price went up. You can put in place those reservoirs of goodwill ahead of time in a strategic way. Uh, Next slide, please. Three simple things that you can do with crisis infrastructure. Against those most likely, those most damaging vulnerabilities, develop your message ahead of time. What would you say? How would you say it? What are variations on that message that you can prepare? Not just we're looking into the matter, not just we're very sorry, but develop a message along those three categories of initial increasing and intense that helps your company introduce alternatives, helps your organization to engage effectively in that conversation, or even in that worst case scenario, helps find the future. The second piece is you need all the materials to do it, and you can build them ahead of time if you know what your message is, you know what you would say in those circumstances. And the last piece is who do you want to say it? Oftentimes in crisis, we are not our best spokespeople. We need to be out there, we need to be engaging, but we also need to empower other voices, oftentimes external ones. And those voices, those stakeholders, aren't necessarily the um, normal cast of characters that we're engaging with. So how do we uh, create and cultivate relations with them ahead of time? Next slide, please. This is a, a really um, cool exercise that you can do uh, for yourself, for your team. And, and it comes down to the personal crisis preparation, the team crisis preparation, and ideally, then the company or organization preparation look at yourself through an honest lens. What are your strengths in crisis? Some of us get very nervous. Some of us actually uh, feed off of the energy and, and, and the adrenaline that's running through our veins uh, during crisis. And, and that would be a strength. But we also have weaknesses. Uh, some of us become less communicative during crisis. And, and we need to understand that. And then lastly, in that category, we need to uh, identify ahead of time, where am I going to seek both personally for my team and for my organization, the support that that, uh, we need. And and some of it is the practice ahead of time. Some of it is putting in place mechanisms and and processes that are gonna help you, your team and your organization navigate through the crisis. Next slide, please. Lastly, I wanna uh, really talk about this concept of countermeasures. In Chinese, in Mandarin, uh, the word for crisis actually has two symbols you see there on the left-hand side of the screen. One is danger, the other is opportunity, and this is the silver lining amongst uh, the, the challenges that we confront today. Where you see a crisis, you see disruption, and amidst that disruption there are new opportunities that are going to be born from this current uh, coronavirus crisis. New opportunities will emerge. Whether or not uh, we can seize them, you can seize them, comes down to how prepared we are for that. Do we have the tools? And countermeasures really are those tools. There's, there's a template. There is um, the idea, again, uh, 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 against those um, vulnerabilities, what would change a a situation uh, that was increasingly or intensely bad? What could I introduce into that? I'll I'll give you just a a quick example of that. So uh, in the case of several American airlines, there had been passengers uh, removed and one whose name was Adam Saleh, who was speaking Arabic on uh, a Delta Airlines flight uh, back from London uh, to the United States. He was removed and Uh, Delta, you know, came under a significant criticism uh, and fire because uh, he had quite a large social media following. And so his video of that is going viral. Meanwhile, Delta says, well, we're looking into it in a short statement. A countermeasure is something that introduces into that identified vulnerability. In this case, it would be uh, a passenger issue or a particularly a passenger of Uh, from the Middle East or or speaking Arabic, what we can talk about is in fact, even if we don't know the details of that situation, the Delta uh, transports hundreds of thousands of Muslim passengers around the world each year, has X number of employees and engages with organizations in the Muslim community, all of that information absent in the midst of this crisis, creating the uh, countermeasure, testing it and and having it in a position where there may need to be some tweaks and some changes there, but it is ready to go and your team has gone through the process of building it, which in and of itself is as valuable because too often crisis management is handled at the executive level. It does not penetrate down even to the mid-level, let alone to the factory floor of many companies and organizations. So how do you build up that awareness from your team, both of the vulnerabilities that are out there as well as what can be done. Last slide, please. So I wanna leave you just with this story, as Neil mentioned, when we saw the schoolgirls uh, tragically uh, kidnapped from uh, Chebuk, Nigeria, uh, we were all gathered in that situation room looking at how we could uh, deploy different capabilities, security, intelligence, but also communications capabilities against the challenge. And and I noticed this um, emerging hashtag, bring back our girls. And while it was powerful and an important message, it also played into what exactly Boko Haram wanted us to be saying. They wanted us to be afraid to send our daughters and our sisters to school. And oftentimes in crisis, you see companies, organizations, governments amplify the negative narrative. This was the same with ISIS. It is the same with Russia. Uh, we say um, that you know we're countering uh, Russian disinformation. We are countering ISIS messaging. Well, in reality, if they are saying that uh, the sky is purple and we say that it's not, we're still talking on their terms. We're talking about a purple sky. What we did in the case of Let Girls Learn was Zoom out that conversation and say, we're not going to talk about uh, the terms of this uh, issue uh, where Boko Haram wants us to. Instead, we're going to create a constructive conversation about what can be done to support uh, girls, the 62 million uh, girls at the time when we created it, who were not in school and the millions of others who were trying to stay there. And Let Girls Learn ultimately catalyzed um, support from around the world, billions of dollars to uh, help girls uh, stay and go to school. And ultimately, I think it is a, an illustration of how from crisis, from these kind of challenges, you can create new opportunities. You can build the next phase of your company or organization. Thank you.
1: Hey Brett, uh, thank you so much uh, for sharing your insights. I think I speak for everyone, um, how fortunate we are to have your expertise uh, to build, to to speak firsthand your experience uh, through decades of work on the ground of dealing with many crises that we've seen and read about in the news. And now that we're all facing a crisis in different ways in our own communities, uh, this conversation couldn't be more timely. And I know that a lot of people here will have um, a lot of questions. Uh, you, know, you were spot on right at, at 20 minutes and now we'll provide uh, 20 minutes uh, of time for folks to be able to ask questions. Uh, just as a reminder, uh, you can uh, either type your questions in the comments section, or if you wanna speak uh, to Brett directly, click the raise your hand button and then we'll unmute your line individually to be able to ask your question. Uh, The first question comes in uh, from Adrian uh, from Mexico. uh, And his question is how uh, can corporation, how do corporations and governments differ in the way that they should be communicating in times of crisis like this?
0: Great question. Uh, Thanks, Adrian. I I think there are are some key differences. Uh, One, and, this uh, obviously is a, a challenge that is inherent to government. Uh, you don't have a, as much flexibility on a lot of these crises as to whether you engage. And we're seeing this now with COVID 19. You know, companies are selectively engaging, they're uh, choosing individual areas that they want to engage on. Whereas in government, you actually have to take on, in most cases, the whole uh, issue. You you can't be selective of when, where, and and how you engage. And and I've done some of these trainings with uh, government officials. One of the things that I've encouraged them to do is look beyond those traditional government resources, because too often in government you see things only through the lens of here's what I've got in my agency department or in some other agencies or departments. But how do you reach out, especially ahead of time, and to build those relationships, build those um, countermeasures uh, with the private sector so that you can engage and they can engage in a collaborative way? Because one of the things that the research bears out, and we've seen this particularly here in the United States with natural disasters, is companies outside organizations are going to engage in crisis whether they are engaging constructively or not, whether they're complementing what government does, is largely a factor of whether or not they had a conversation
1: about it ahead of time. Thank you very much, Brett. Um, I'm going to uh, see if I can unmute lines here so that we can have others uh, join in. Um, And as a reminder, you can also uh, ask your question in the Q&A section. Uh, thank you very much, Adrian. That was a, a wonderful question.
0: Well, Neil's doing that, one uh, additional point that I would make is, when you are doing that mapping, one of the things, not just in government, but in your own organization, is you want to identify who's your team in crisis. And we often think of team as, well. this is who's sitting in my office. But as I was saying earlier, there are um, a lot of particularly external actors that are either direct uh, relationships, and I talk about them in terms of Um, internal direct and internal indirect, as well as external direct and external indirect. Basically, the distinction being who are you regularly working with versus who are you not regularly working with except in crisis. And so the, the notion is if you've got that map of here's who is both within my company, within my government agency or organization, and then here's who's on the outside, you can start to actually build those plans of how you work together and where uh, everyone plugs into the
1: process. Great, thank you much. Thank you very much, Brett. Uh, we have two new questions. Uh, one from Kelly from South Africa. Uh, she uh, asked, what is the best way to contextualize your message as a brand when engaging different stakeholders in a crisis?
0: Well, another strong question, and thanks, Kelly. I, I would say that your message in crisis has to be different Uh, in almost all cases than your message on a normal day. What uh, often happens is companies and organizations try to continue to um, share the same uh, message and and use the same means. There's a good illustration of some of the subtle changes that can take place Uh, in the example of AirAsia. Tony Menendez was the CEO, I think he's actually still the CEO of AirAsia, They, like uh, Malaysian Airways, had uh, suffered a a crash of one of their jets. And yet, what AirAsia did um, was quite different from Malaysian Airways. One, Tony Menendez rolled up his sleeves, he got out there on the front lines and he was seen engaging. This, you know, to my earlier point, the importance of getting out and uh, being seen as well as being heard. There was also changes um, in how they talked. It wasn't corporate speak. You, you often see this very, um, I'll call it, a structured uh, way of responding to crisis. Uh, an important point that I share in my, my classes at Georgetown on crisis communications is that crises are experienced emotionally, but oftentimes governments, companies, organizations react logically, and that is the disconnect. So how do you make your message, the message of your leaders, more emotional? Often it's that practice that I was uh, describing before, especially if they're not particularly emotional people to begin with. But if you speak um, much more directly, much more um, uh, authentically, it comes across in a way that people can trust more even if you're uh, sharing something that people don't want to hear. And so I encourage uh, companies to ditch the script in crisis. Don't come out and try to read from a podium. Instead, get out there and talk as though you are having a conversation with your child, with uh, a colleague in an informal setting. And don't feel like it's got to be perfect because those imperfections help to tell
1: the story. Thank you, Brad. I've got another question from Adrian uh, from Mexico. Uh, He uh, responded saying that, you know, a lot of company related crisis and scandals uh, oftentimes come from individuals within the organization. Uh, How do you separate individual response versus organizational response?
0: Well, earlier I mentioned how that one incident, uh, even one individual can, quickly uh, turn into a negative story about the whole company or organization. So when a company or organization faces um, an individual's action, now this could be a senior executive. There are plenty of examples. You know you have the former owner, uh, president of Uber, uh, who you know, hopped in an Uber black and, and started to get into an argument with the uh, driver about pay and benefits. I mean, that is an example of, of an executive uh, action as an individual that reflects very poorly on the brand. Similarly, you have examples of, you know, somebody on the factory floor who uh, videotape uh, themselves doing something inappropriate to the product. Um, that obviously is a very poor reflection overall on, on the products, even if it was just one individual or one instance. So what you try to do is build ahead of time that infrastructure. Tell the story of all of your people. And you, you, you know that uh, ahead of time, even not knowing where in your organization something or someone will go wrong. And so you can say, yes, we understand there are allegations, or in fact, there, there is um, Evidence that someone may have said or done something wrong. We understand that. But let's take advantage of that opportunity to talk about what our people, 99.9% of our people, do every day, how they do it, what's the training, what's the process, what is the preparation. Use crisis as an opportunity to educate people about who you are, about your values. I think there was a great example from Airbnb. Many of you uh, may have stayed in Airbnbs, may be familiar with this issue. But there were, you know, accusations some hosts were not accepting uh, people from certain uh, ethnic, racial backgrounds. Well, what did Airbnb do? They they owned that crisis. They leaned into it and they said, "These are our values. If you don't subscribe to these values, you're not part of our community." So they used that crisis is actually an opportunity to lift up who they are as a company, to lean on that reservoir of goodwill that they had. And I think it was pretty effective.
1: Great, Brett. I'm going to uh, close with one uh, additional question uh, from Ronald, uh, who's from Zimbabwe. He says that in most instances, uh, crisis uh, comes, um, is, uh, let me, let me go back here. Um, that crisis comes and response is elitist and government-driven. How and at what point do we foster citizen agency in addressing the crisis situation?
0: Thanks, Ronald. Uh, You know, that earlier discussion about the power of the individual, not just for creating problems, but actually also for creating solutions, is, is something that holds true. So individuals, especially in moments like this, where uh, society is facing a, um, a large scale uh, challenge, can stand up and can show the way forward. I, I would especially argue, at least in the case of our own government here, uh, we have seen more action uh, by companies, by organizations, by individuals that, that has helped to both set an example for others as well as to shape the conversation around that issue. So I think individuals, and perhaps as a a way to wrap up here, all of you who are on this call, I think uh, can do a few things. One, uh, I certainly encourage you and and for your organizations to take a look at what are those risks and reevaluate them, especially in this post-COVID world. Secondly, what kind of uh, indicators, how are you tracking those risks? How do you know when the problems start to percolate up. We just went through this exercise with my class at Georgetown. It was really interesting to look at how uh, they would propose, not just tracking uh, through Google alerts and, and conversation on social media, but really looking at some of those indirect indicators of what's happening out on the issues that we care about, the sector that we work in, as well as the direct conversation about our company or organization. The next thing obviously is what can you put in place as infrastructure? Lay that foundation of the the kinds of relationships, the kinds of capabilities that you need to have in place. And then lastly, how can you offer amidst that adversity a new idea, a path forward to the future, whether you are an individual, an organization, a company. uh, Think about if this happens, what is not only the response? What is not only the a way to um, put out the flames of that fire, but how do we rebuild that forest and what does a new forest or garden look like?
1: Brett, I can't thank you enough for being with us as a guest today. What an honor to have you uh, with us. I know there's uh, a lot of uh, questions that have continued to come in, uh, which will continue those conversations on the Presidential Precinct Network. We've got a great question from Tanzania, also from Mirabil in Cameroon. I'm gonna post those questions within the Presidential Precinct Network. Uh, As a reminder to get to the the network, you go to presidentialprecinctnetwork.org or you can uh, download the Mighty Networks app and uh, and have uh, the network on your phone to have uh, continued dialogue. The conversation of slides from today's conversation will be posted in the 2020 talks within the network. I'll post uh, Lusaho and uh, Mirabel's question there. Uh, I encourage everyone else who has joined uh, today's conversation to continue providing questions um, as Brett will be within the network as well. But thank you everyone for joining us. Uh, It's so great to see you all. Uh, We're gonna be sending um, warm thoughts uh, to you and your families uh, and your communities as we're all going through this crisis uh, together. Uh, We're not alone. Uh, and, uh, we're, we're here as a family and, uh, just please let us know at the presidential precinct, what we can do. I know we have limited ways that we can support, uh, your efforts, but just ways that we can be there for you, whether it's just a conversation or picking up a phone and talking, let us know we're here for you. And, uh, Brett, thank you. It's really great to have you with us and, uh, look forward to talking to everyone uh, again soon. Thank you.
0: Thanks. Thanks for the great questions.